Hello, this is Dr. Nasir Gami, and you're listening to the Gami Psychiatry Podcast. Scientific, humanistic, and not the conventional wisdom. Hi, this is Nasir Gami, and welcome back. Um, On this podcast, I wanted to speak a little about a recent New Yorker article, which was written by Andrew Solomon and had to do about uh, suicide in children in the preteen years. And there was an example, especially of a 12-year-old boy in New York who um, died by suicide. It was a very well-written article and got into many different aspects of his life. And uh, Solomon uh, knew him and his family personally. So that aspect was... Um, certainly very uh, intriguing and informative. And he also had a a couple other anecdotal examples and discussed the issue in various ways. One thing that I'd like to highlight that was not discussed in the article has to do with the treatment. He noted that um, the parents had taken their child two psychiatrists in Manhattan uh, for treatment. They were well-to-do, and they gave the child access to all kinds of of, uh, treatment. So uh, one presumes that the child saw child psychiatrists, and um, they treated him with serotonin reuptake inhibitors of various kinds, and an antipsychotic, or I prefer the term dopamine blocker. Um, the specific medications uh, were medications like Abilify, which is a dopamine blocker, uh, and Prozac, which is a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Now, <clears throat> as a, a listener, you may or may not know that these medications are commonly used in psychiatry but especially in children, because a lot of child psychiatrists avoid certain classes of medications in children. For instance, they avoid lithium and mood stabilizers, and they avoid the anti-anxiety medications like benzodiazepines. And they view serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and let me just use the acronym SRI for them. Um, They view the SRIs as safe. And many will view some of these dopamine blockers as relatively safe. Now, it is known that the dopamine blockers can cause weight gain, and uh, if given at high doses and for longer times, they can cause diabetes. Um, But some of them have less risk of those side effects, especially at lower doses and for short amounts of time. So many clinicians would not consider those treatments unreasonable for this child. However, Many clinicians know, but ignore the fact that the SRIs have been found to almost double the risk of suicidality. And by that, we mean increased suicidal thoughts or suicide attempts. This has been shown in randomized clinical trials, the highest level of clinical trials. And the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, put out a black box about 20 years ago to warn clinicians about this problem, that there's almost a doubling of the risk of suicidality with the SRIs. Clinicians have 
obviously continued to use these drugs extensively and um, perhaps after some initial dip, the use of the medications has really continued unabated in this population. You might ask why? Well, sometimes people will say that there were no suicides in those studies. Again, suicidality is a wider term, and there are really three aspects to suicide. One is having the thoughts, that's called suicidal ideation. The other is making an attempt, <clears throat> and the third is actually completing the suicide or dying from the suicide. In people with depression, about half of uh, the people will have suicidal thoughts. In other words, if you have clinical depression, half the time you will have a suicidal thought and half the time you won't. Of the people that have suicidal thoughts, only about 15% or so make suicide attempts. In other words, even if you have suicidal thoughts, the majority of people never make an attempt or try to harm themselves in any way. Of the people that make suicide attempts, uh, only about, depending on the studies, only about 10% or so of them eventually will die by suicide. Um, and that's usually over decades. So the actual suicide rate in clinical depression is probably, if we were to use a round number, probably somewhere around 5%. And it depends. It could be less if you're talking about less severe depression. It could be um, perhaps a little more if you limit yourself to more severe depression. 5% overall. So if we think about it again, 50% of these um, people will have suicidal thoughts. 15% will have suicide attempts and 5% or less actually complete suicide. So that's one way of looking at this. When we say suicidality is increased, that means the suicidal thoughts and attempts increase, but that doesn't necessarily translate into completed suicide, death by suicide. And so that's one reason why some clinicians have, have um, taken a somewhat benign attitude towards this FDA warning and have continued to use SRIs for depression in children and adolescents and young adults. And basically, below age 25 is where the FDA saw this increased suicidal rate. Above age 25, there was not an increased general suicidal rate with SRIs for depression. So we're really talking about uh, young adults, adolescents, and children. Now, that's one approach, just to say, well, there weren't completed suicide in those studies. But keep in mind, these randomized trials, these are studies where people agree to double-blind treatment. That means they don't know what they're getting. They don't know if they're getting a drug or not. They agree to placebo. That means they agree to a 50-50 chance they won't get drug at all and get a sugar pill. And uh, it's randomized in, in, in that sense that they, they don't know what they're getting. So in these double-blind randomized trials, Usually, it is considered unethical to include patients who have a high risk of suicidality. In other words, if you have suicidal thoughts or you've made a recent suicide attempt, you will not be included in these studies. And the researchers, therefore, exclude such people. So it's not surprising there were no suicides in these studies because people who were at risk for suicide were excluded. The other thing is these studies are usually about eight weeks long. So even if you did have some risk of suicidality, you only would be treated for eight weeks in the study. After that, you would no longer be in the study. And if you committed suicide or 
uh, had a suicidal event a few months later, that wouldn't count. It wouldn't be noted in the study. So the risk of actually having a completed suicide in the study is quite low because the treatment time is really brief and the people with suicidal risk factors are excluded. <clears throat> so for that reason, I don't think it's a legitimate conclusion to say, oh, there were no suicides in these studies. The fact that suicide risk factors increased, suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts should give us reason for concern. On the other hand, the fact that the majority of those people still will not die by suicide uh, does not mean that the risk is um, necessarily um, absolutely huge, but it, it is there. It's a doubling of the risk as mentioned. Now, another aspect to why clinicians continue to use SRIs in children and adolescents and young adults with depression, besides the fact that there were no completed suicides in those studies, is that um, the suicide attempts um, are themselves often fatal. In general, about one half of people who make suicide attempts um, die. So in, in other words, su suicides are, are fatal. They lead to death the first time that people try to do them uh, in about half of people, 50% of people. So um, in the studies, we saw increased suicide attempts, but people didn't actually die. And so people will say, well, um, you would have expected some of that. And again, that, that's possible, but with the very low frequency of suicide, the short time of treatment, and the exclusion of people who had already prior to that time had some uh, suicidal thinking and, and attempts, it would uh, reduce the, the likelihood. Now, the final reason why clinicians continue to use SRIs for depression is that after the black box warning came out with the FDA, a number of studies were published which showed or stated that suicidal um, attempts and su completed suicides increased in the population of children and adolescents after the FDA black box warning compared to before, or they increased in, in correlation with some decrease in antidepressant use versus before, or other studies would show that suicide rates increased uh, when antidepressants were stopped uh, versus before. So many clinicians and researchers drew the conclusion that there was a causal relationship, that uh, because there was this correlation between suicidality or suicide attempts and suicide and less antidepressant use or the introduction of the, of the FDA warning, this correlation therefore was causal that the decreased antidepressant use led to increased suicides. Of course, um, people with minimal knowledge of statistics know the, 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 the minor fact that all college students get taught is that correlation is not the same as causation. Um, there's a lot more to know about statistics than that. Um, and that one statement actually can be quite misleading. But it is relevant that in these studies, you can't draw that conclusion because these are real-world studies. We call them epidemiological studies. They are not randomized studies. So in randomized studies, people randomly get assigned to a treatment or not. In the real world, it's not random. The, the patients that got the antidepressants got them for a reason. And the patients who came off the antidepressants came off for a reason. 
either the doctors decided to put the patient on the antidepressant because they were more severely ill, or the doctor decided to take off the patients off the antidepressants, sometimes because they were doing worse, perhaps, or the patient decided to come off the antidepressant because they were doing worse. Now think about it. Suppose someone is doing worse and they go off the antidepressant and then they die by suicide. Well, the problem, the you can't really conclude from that that uh, going off the antidepressant made that person uh, have the result of suicide. In fact, it's probably not related to that. And that's the way it is in these epidemiological studies. You can't draw a cause and effect relationship because people are doing these things for a reason, and we don't know what those reasons are. And sometimes we can infer, actually, that the reasons would argue against drawing a cause and effect relationship, such as the example I just gave you. The point of these so-called randomized trials is you get rid of all these reasons. In statistics, this is called confounding or confounding factors or confounding bias. What that means is that in the real world, there are lots of reasons for why things happen. Lots of reasons that we can't control and lots of reasons that we don't even know about. And the only way you can really draw a cause and effect relationship between something happening and then something else happening afterwards is to get rid of all these confounding factors, to get rid of all these reasons, to clear out the noise. And the only way you can do that is by making the decision about whether someone gets something, some kind of treatment making that decision a random decision. They either get it or they don't on a flip of a coin. That's the only way you can know that all these other factors aren't affecting the outcome. Let me give you another example, just a simple one. Uh, for a long time, studies have shown that coffee is associated with cancer. But in the past, in those studies, what uh, they realized was that coffee drinkers tended also to be cigarette smokers whereas non-coffee drinkers tended to smoke cigarettes less or not smoke cigarettes. And so the apparent relationship between coffee drinking and cancer was really a relationship between cigarette smoking and cancer. And the coffee drinking was just a benign link that existed between cigarette smoking and coffee drinking. It actually was not a direct cause of cancer. It was an indirect and benign link to the cancer, the real cause being the cigarette smoking. Multiply that by a thousand and you have the situation with suicide and antidepressants in these epidemiological studies, in these non-randomized studies. There are a thousand other factors that can lead to people's uh, death by suicide, and none of that is assessed or controlled for in these epidemiological studies, so you can't draw a cause and effect relationship. So the scientific way of putting this is that those studies are less valid, less correct than the randomized trials that the FDA used because in those randomized trials, all the other confounding factors uh, would be removed because of the randomization of the treatment. People were randomly assigned to either getting antidepressant or not. So it's a long way of saying that you can't use those epidemiological studies uh, to discount or to refute the FDA randomized data about the causal relationship between antidepressants and suicidality. There is a cause and effect relationship. You can't deny it and you can't refute it with those non-randomized studies. So now we come back to this issue of child psychiatrists continue to give SRIs for depression and the specific case of this 12-year-old in the New Yorker article. Well, when he died by suicide by jumping off of a high-rise building, 
he was taking Prozac, and I believe it said 40 milligrams a day, which is a reasonably high dose. It's a 20 milligrams is a, a more average dose. 40 is a medium to high dose, especially for a smaller child, 40 milligrams a day of Prozac. We know that that's associated with increased risk of suicidality. So when he uh, died, he was on a drug which increased the risk of suicidality. And he was not taking the only drug that's been proven to prevent completed suicide, which is lithium. A lot of people don't know this. Lithium is the only drug in psychiatry that's been shown to actually prevent suicide, completed suicide, not suicide attempts, for which there are some data with another medication, clozapine, and not suicidal thoughts, for which there are some data, as you know, with some new medications claiming such benefits like esketamine. But actual suicide, only lithium has been shown to prevent that in randomized trials. And this is based on multiple randomized trials, which have been combined in what's called meta-analysis over the years. It's also interesting that there's a very large literature on lithium in the drinking water, which shows that in areas where lithium levels are high in the drinking water, there are much lower suicide rates. Now, of course, you could claim that we can't draw a cause and effect relationship from such a correlation, but maybe we can in this case because we already have a cause and effect relationship that's established in the randomized trials. We already know that lithium prevents suicide. That's not a question anymore. What the geological studies show us is that lithium prevents suicide even in very low doses because the amounts of lithium in the water in those studies is quite low compared to the prescription doses we usually use. So I say that to get at the usual um, reaction, which would be, oh, you can't give something dangerous like lithium to a child. Actually, you can for two reasons. One, it's not dangerous and nowhere near as much as people claim. And you can give it in quite low doses, potentially even to reduce the risk of suicide based on some of those studies I mentioned. So there are two concerning issues in this case. The uh, child was treated with a drug that increased the risk of suicide and not treated with a drug that decreases the risk. And the outcome was suicide. And I think this is important to understand, important to mention. And it really, it wasn't uh, described at all in the New Yorker article. So to, to close, one might ask whether child psychiatrists um, continue to use SRIs for depression in children and adolescents and in young adults in a way that really is not justifiable. And cases like this bring out why we should continue to be concerned about this, this issue and try to understand it better. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you liked it and we'll catch you next time.